0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hey, what's up, Elk Shape Podcast, episode 51 with me, Dan the Fitness On. Today I'm interviewing Tyson Drevnock out of Washington State. He's good buddies with Jason Phelps. He's part of Angry Mountain Productions. He's 100% blue collar, just a guy who's not insta anything, just hard-working, blue-collar, all-American elk hunter. You're going to learn from him. He was a part of four different bulls getting killed this year. Two of them were his. That's right, he was packing out four bulls. and He's got some great uh, history with elk hunting, and his elk hunting learning curve is awesome. We talk a little bit about his family, his fitness, his job, time off, elk tactics, how to call elk, what his learning curve was, a little bit more in-depth on navigating country and hunting spots you've never been before so this one's kind of got it all i really enjoyed uh, getting to know tyson i hope to get to meet him in person he's a great dude he lives uh probably four or five hours away from me so we recorded over the skype but the audio is pretty good and clear if you want to support elk shape podcast subscribe five star review you know what to do just do it and uh you can check out ElkShape.com hats t-shirts got some new stuff coming up there pretty soon and then you can check out the youtube channel elk shape subscribe watch the nevada elk hunt series 10 episodes day by day not really a vlog style per se because i did have a cameraman but i think you get to watch my ups and downs on a very challenging hunt that took me a long time to draw and you can always check out my idaho series it's the hustle series where that is more of a vlog style more interactive bringing you along uh, Definitely between those two video series, I killed three bulls in 2018, and I show you how I do it. And uh, hopefully you can learn something. But really, I'd make those videos for you guys just to kind of share the experience. But that's what's going on. Elk Shape Camp number one is coming up in March 2019. And this is the first of the years coming up. So it's time to sit down, reflect on the year, see what you did well and what you could do better. Never be satisfied with where you're at. Stay hungry Figure out a way to make time to take care of your body, make time to take care of your nutrition and plan your meals, and then take time to dope your weapon. Stay sharp on the computer with all your scouting, application season's just around the corner. There's always something to do when it comes to shortening the elk hunting learning curve or making yourself more successful. That's why I love elk hunting. It's a year-round pursuit and uh, not too long from now we'll be out doing some coyote wolf hunting and then we got shed season and then we got bear season and if you want to go bear hunting with me and you're listening to this and it's not 2019 yet get on the instagrams find my post i'm doing a bear giveaway someone's going bear hunting with me and my buddy mark boardman of vortex optics and it's going to be the first week of June. All you have to do is figure out a way to get to Spokane Airport. I'll pick you up. We're going to hunt out of my cabin. We're going to be able to get on some bears. That for sure. We're going to send you a whole setup with uh, 2019 Sika gear. That's pretty sick. And then a whole uh, Vortex Optics package. All you got to do is pay for your tag and license and I'm here to tell you they're pretty darn affordable and then you're going to have a full week with me. I hope you're cool whoever wins because if not, I'm going to make it the worst week of your life, but if you're awesome, I could potentially make it the best bear hunt of your life and I uh, I'm looking forward to meeting whoever gets to come out and uh, experience some of my bear country and put in for that. All you got to do I think is uh, like the post. Make sure you follow Dan the Fitness Man and Elkshape on Instagram and tag a couple buddies. That's it. And someone's gonna win. I'm gonna announce the winner at ATA. Should be awesome. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode. Hey, Elkshape Podcast, episode 51. With me, the Dan the Fitness Man, and we are bringing on Tyson. He is out of Washington State. He kills elk. That's all I know about him. We're going to find out more. What's up, Tyson? Uh, Just living the dream, my man. What's going on? What's that look like? What's living the dream look like?
2: Oh, just, you know, this year was a pretty good elk year. And I got two little ones running around upstairs that are currently, sounds like throwing a fit. So I'm living the dream.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I am downstairs. I can hear some chaos upstairs. And uh, (laughs) I'm super pumped to be away from it for a little while. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, man. Sorry, Mom. Yeah, that's cool. So give us a little background on what's a day in a life look like you. Just, you know, get give us your story, man. Well, let's see. I
2: was uh, born and raised in a little small logging town called P.L. Washington. I have uh, been with my wife for about 12 years now. We've got two little ones, a little boy uh, th- who's almost three, and a little girl that will be turning one Uh, next month so uh we got some chaos going on wow but lots of good chaos that's for sure it's fun fun chaos i should say
1: yeah what's your uh what's your day job look like man
2: day job i uh work for lewis county public works in the traffic control division so we take care of pretty much all the road signs and striping uh throughout all lewis county and uh I'm actually the traffic operations specialist. So I kind of run our budget as well as um, all of our inventory, along with everything that goes with the boring day to day job stuff that I'm not going to bore you guys with. But
1: yeah, yeah. Nine to fiver. For sure. Now, time off for hunting. How's that work? We earn,
2: uh, right now, I currently earn nine hours a month. And, uh, that's it. I pretty much bank all my time for September through November. And I got a pretty understanding wife that lets me get
1: away with that. God bless her. Now you had, now your daughter was, you know, not that old this fall. So how'd that work out leaving home for extended hunts and such?
2: Uh, you know, it, I, like I said, my wife's pretty understanding and she knows, how much I love to hunt. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was it was rough on her, and I, she was happy to see me get back home, but she knew that, like, she even told me a couple days before I left for Idaho that she's like, you know, I'm just ready for you to go because you're here, but your mind's in Idaho. <laughs> so. Heard that before. But, yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it went pretty well. She's, like I said, really understanding. And we got a pretty good supporting cast between my parents and her parents. So they're more than willing to help out with the kids when she just needs maybe a a five-minute break from them.
1: That's cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your hunting season. And you said it was pretty stellar. Uh, Give us the rundown, man.
2: Well, I uh, was pretty fortunate this year in the Elkwoods. I got to uh, help out on a couple of special permit hunts here in Washington, as well as I uh, took two bulls of my own, Uh, one in Idaho and one in Washington as well. And uh, it started out, we had a buddy contact uh, myself. Well, he contacted Jason Phelps first. Uh, He drew the Western Washington incentive tag. And that tag pretty much allowed him to hunt in all, but I think there was four units that were off limits to him, September 1st through December 31st. Good lord, yeah, super tag. Like I, I've always heard about them, but I've never known anybody who drew them, so you always are kind of skeptical if they're even if they even exist. But I can say I, I know a guy that drew one now, <laughs> so they
1: are real. That's awesome, man. So he just all west side units except for four? Yeah.
2: Yeah, there was, uh, I think, Nooksack's Off-Limits and a couple of the units around St. Helens. And there was one other one. But, yeah, we pretty much had free reign. And with the incentive tag, you can hunt with a rifle starting September 1st until an archery season opens up. And then he would have to switch over and hunt with a bow. And then any season that was open, um, he had to hunt with that weapon. But when there was no seasons open, he had free reign to go out with a rifle. Like
1: oh, wow! So yeah. obviously, I think we could probably talk. Where did he go? Uh, if you think it's safe to say, and and what was it like?
2: Well, we uh, I actually drew a White River permit about uh, it's been about ten years ago now. Okay, and I was familiar with the unit and. Um, thought we could do pretty well in that unit and it was close enough to where we were pretty confident that we could get him in there and not kill him because there was other places we could definitely go but he was pretty straightforward he's like i'm not in the greatest shape but i'll go wherever you guys are willing to take me so we ended up going into the white river unit and uh, got in there the day before and uh, had, he, he actually called me that morning before I left the house and was like, yeah, I hear two bulls bugling up the ridge from me. It's foggy, but I, I could hear two bulls going already. I'm like, all right, it's August, end of August. Wow, yeah. Like, yeah, this could be good. So we got up there and battled fog the whole first night. And most of the second morning got into bulls. Bugling never did see any bulls, and then uh, I end up calling one in that first night, and uh, he couldn't let him walk. It ended up being a six by seven, which is a pretty good bull, and it was actually his second bull he's ever ever wow. shot. So yeah. Yeah, he was he was pretty stoked.
1: He uh, obviously shot it with a rifle. Yeah, got it with a rifle. Did it drop right in his tracks?
2: Yes, sir. I think nice. we had him. He was in a hundred and closing and I told him to, uh, let him come. And, uh, cause we had the video camera rolling and I wanted to see how close he'd get. And he got to about two more openings. He's like, stop him. And I don't even think I got a cow call out and he shot and just dropped him. It nice. was pretty awesome.
1: Good. Yeah. So there's one bull down, packed that out. You're back home within a couple of days. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah, that worked out pretty well
2: for considering uh, we were headed to Idaho the uh, 12th of September. So I actually got to get home for a few days and spend time with the family before I geared up and took off and met Jason in Idaho. Now you and Phelps and are from the same town? Yeah, grew up same town. I've known Jason my whole life. And we didn't start hunting together till about 2011.
1: Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I've known Jason my whole life. Do you think he's, like, eating um, something ketogenic right about now? Oh, you know, I don't know.
2: Holidays, <laughs> I think he's maybe even cheating a little bit.
1: Yeah. First of the year, though. First of the year. We he'll be, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Okay, so... You roll back, you guys are going to head to Idaho first, or are you going to hunt Washington first after you helped your buddy?
2: I actually sat out the Washington archery season because I knew I was going to be in Idaho for most of it. Cool. So I actually had a muzzleloader tag in Washington this year. Nice. Just to expand my options a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good program to follow. I've done that a yeah. few, and I'll probably do that next year, but I usually sit out all of Washington hunts. It's... Uh, I've already talked a lot of smack about Washington on this podcast, but I think people understand it's just not a very long season. Oh, yeah. It's It's, pretty densely populated with people. For sure. Yeah, it's a little rough. That's an understatement. Yeah, (laughs) that's the nicest way I can say it. So you, you and Jason went over to Idaho. Tell us about that hunt, man. So I met up with Jason. He's coming back from Colorado
2: hunting with the born and raised guys. And I met up with him, and Ryan Lampers was there along with uh, Matt Davis from Mountain Ops. hmm And we all met up there, and we split up. Me and Jason hunted together, and the other two went different directions. And we we, uh, we picked a unit none of us had ever been and picked a spot on the map and went. And uh, we found a ton of people the first two and a half days. Everywhere we went, we could not get away from people. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there was just so many different trail systems in there that you could not hike far enough to get away from people. Okay. you just run into another trailhead where there'd be people coming in from the other direction. There was just, there was no escaping them. As far as we
1: would go, we would just, yeah, we kept running into people. So I've ran into that in Washington quite a bit to where Mm -hmm. I've kind of had to, like, back up a little bit and kind of recircle and figure out, okay, the further I walk is not the game plan. I'm going to have to really figure out and think like an elk. Okay, there's pressure coming from both sides. Where do I want to get away from the pressure? And what it usually turns out is it's – say it's a 10-mile loop. It's usually that two to four-mile range. Find some north-facing timber, nasty country, and you can usually find some elk. What did you guys do? How did you adapt?
2: Well, we uh, <laughs> we actually – was it day, second night, I think we drove around until about midnight. We were bugling into every drainage we could possibly bugle into, oh, yeah. trying to strike up a bull in the dark. And we were just completely striking out. So we had no game plan. It was midnight. We were both pretty much falling asleep. So we he had actually located a bull in this one drainage that was pretty close to our base camp. Uh, before i got there so we were just kind of gonna bank on going to that spot at daylight because we had nothing to go off of yeah and we actually spotted a bull on our way there so we took off after that bull spotted a different bull on the way to that one couldn't find that one couldn't get a response to anything so we kept i think we went over three different ridges and we just threw our sleeping bags in just in case we found a hot spot so we could sleep under the stars if we had to we took enough food for a couple of days but we weren't we were planning on coming back to the truck unless we found elk and on our third ridge we crept over and just thought we heard kind. it just sounded like a sick bugle but it like that kind of sounded like a bull and then we sat on that ridge top and listened to Gosh, I bet there was four or five bulls down in this drainage. Like, we, we found the elk, and we mm-hmm. found the rut fest. And we just, they were coming up the drainage towards us. Couldn't see any of them because it was all timber, but then we just kind of let them work up to us and let them bed up, and then we slipped down in on them. And uh, we got in pretty tight. I would say we were within 50, 60 yards of that bull, and we were getting ready to make a setup. And he actually lit off and we closed a little bit closer and he, Jason hammered the vehicle, and he'd come right in to, I think I shot him at
1: 12 yards. Oh yes. I like that shot. Yeah. Yeah, It was, it was pretty awesome. Dude. Okay. So you guys went from zeros to heroes. I love that you threw packs in, just threw a little backpack in just in case, threw extra food in, gave yourself an, you know, you gave yourself an option. Which is yep. a huge advantage, but turns out you didn't even really have to sleep, stay the night. You found the elk soon enough. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. much that's how it went. That's cool. Okay, so, so so you smoked this bull at twelve. Jason called it in. Then what happens?
2: Then we packed for <laughs> the rest of the night. <laughs>
1: we had I, we I think we went
2: about four miles from the pickup. And it was, we were looking on on X and there was either four miles back up the hill to the pickup, or there was a different trail down. It was, it looked like about a mile, mile and a half from where the bull was down to the trail. And then about two miles to the trailhead. And that was all downhill. So we took the option of heading towards that trailhead and hoping to find a ride back to our pickup which Idaho is awesome there everybody and there was two different guys that ended up making big loops and catching rides back to our rigs like everybody just like oh yeah sure they would drop drop what they were doing and uh always give us ride back to our pickup wow but yeah it was uh that was a welcoming sight because after those uh I think it was about just under four miles to that trailhead uh we were all We were all ready for a pickup, that's for sure.
1: Okay, so did you guys have to pack two trips, go back, or did you get it all? just? We one tripped it. It
2: was me and Jason, and then our our buddy Cody was there uh, running camera, and uh, he became a packer also. So uh, we ended up getting them out in one trip, but it was one heavy trip.
1: Yeah, it's doable with three, but, I mean, man, it's still going to hurt everybody. Nobody's going to come out unscathed. All right, yeah. so what time did you guys arrive back at base camp?
2: I think we got back to base camp at about, I think it was about 9.30, 10 o'clock. And I, I'd shot that bull
1: at right around noon. Okay. okay, so did you guys roll out of bed the next day and get back after it?
2: Well, we ended up having, the temperatures were pretty hot. So we ended up just running that bull into a meat locker in town. Okay. To get him hung up and taken care of so we took the morning off and then we uh came back at it and gathered up with lampers and matt and uh we all dove back in again yeah for the rest of the trip which the rest of the trip i mean we were in elk but it was it was a struggle we had a few a few opportunities that just either bulls wouldn't commit or just wind would swirl just it was it was elk hunting
1: yeah that sounds uh, that sounds all too familiar. All right, so describe your t- your area without giving it away. Were you guys like central Idaho, pretty timbered out, or were you guys hunting northern and more thick brush, or were you down south, uh, where it's a little more? Open? We
2: were more down. We were more down south. We had a good mixture of open with the scattered timber. It was a good mixture of a little bit of everything. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, which was welcoming compared to the the brush we have over here on the west side of washington
1: oh for sure yeah so then (laughs) would you go back to this area or were you like yeah i got a bull out of there it's cool but i'd like to check other areas out like what do you think
2: you know we talked about this after we got done it was a it was a weird hunt because like we we were in elk pretty much every day but it didn't really feel like we were on elk if that makes sense yeah because just dealing with people and it was a weird hunt so i mean there was probably enough elk in there that i mean we
1: probably should go back but i don't i don't know if we will i've hunted places like that where it's just it comes down to the experience that you're looking for is ultimately what you're after and you got to make the best decision. I do like Idaho. I think Idaho is beginning to become a lot more popular. Obviously, tags mm-hmm. have sold out two years in a row, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with. Uh, and another thing I've noticed is there's a lot more wolves getting shot, which to me doesn't mean that we're doing anything. It just means that there's so many wolves they're prevalent. Um, but right. at least on my social feeds, I'm seeing a lot of wolves hit the hit the snow, so to speak, hit the dirt, and uh, it just means to me that there's they're just prevalent and uh i don't know was your area wolfed out at all or did you guys see any wolf sign?
2: uh no we never did see any wolf sign we saw a fair amount of uh hound guys running uh bears but never did see any wolf sign oh okay so well, that was one one bonus about the area definitely okay so when you're done with idaho what was next uh, I was back to Washington, and I went back to work. I think for two or three days, <laughs> and I my coworker actually drew a uh, one of the rifle rut hunts here on the west side, and he was wanting me to uh, help him out if I could, and I ended up taking two days off for which those rifle hunts I think are only they're a five day season open on a Monday and go to a Friday, and I told him um, I would take that Thursday-Friday off if he hadn't shot anything by then, and I heard from one of his buddies that were coming out on that Wednesday that he was still going to be in there, so I took those two days off and headed in for another hunt and kissed the wifey kids goodbye and took off for a couple more days. Now, that hunt, went. we went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs in a matter of about uh, 14 hours, probably. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I called in a, a five point, which this is uh, another guy who's, I think he's, this would have been his third elk. Okay. He shot one bull and one cow and I called in a five point and he ended up missing twice at like a 300 something yards or something. And it was just, crushed like i blew it it was my only chance like i only got tomorrow i'm like man we'll be all right tomorrow's a new day we'll be all right bulls are still talking we'll be fine and uh we ended up shooting a six point the next day and i think i we brought him into 25 30 yards with a rifle awesome and smoked him and he was just ecstatic just I've never seen somebody so happy after shooting an elk. It was, it was a pretty awesome experience to be a part of.
1: That's crazy. So on the west side, so for those listening, Washington divides their elk hunts. you got to pick which side of the state, east or west. The west is pretty much a little bit of Cascades and, uh, you know, mainly just, you know, Roosevelt country after that. And uh, everything else would be, you know, a mixed bag of country. But uh, so you have to choose unless you draw the multi-season elk, which is very limited. If you draw that, you can hunt east and west. But uh, I've never drawn that. But uh, it's kind of what you want. But anyways, back to your story. Like so, you're on the west side. Are you guys hunting true rosies, or are you guys kind of in that? Hybrid? This was a this was a cascade mm-hmm. was the, uh,
2: We were up towards the Crass Trail. So was it What's full up? of people? Actually we never saw i mean we saw some hikers yeah but we we never saw another elk hunter up there which i think there was only i think there was only five tags for that hunt at the time
1: but we never saw a soul that's cool so that in itself was a win and then i think archery closed this year like around the 21st ish yeah, so, i think that's what it was so when did yours so when did this hunt open
2: It opened the Monday after archery. Okay. I believe it was the 24th or something like that.
1: That's pretty sick to go up there with a rifle. Wow.
2: Right? Yeah. Right on the bull. I mean, we we listened to bulls all night, all day. I mean, they got a little quiet during the day because we had pretty warm temperatures. But the bull that he shot, I mean, we listened to him bugling down this hole, which I was aching just to run down the bottom, but I'm glad we didn't because – he was pretty, uh, pretty worn out. His feet were starting to bug him, so he, he, he's, he's like, "I know you want to go down there, but he's like, I can't do it." And we ended up calling him out of the bottom, up to just below the trail. Wow! That's... It took like an about an hour to bring him up, but we ended up bringing him up, and it, it worked out pretty awesome.
1: Nice work, man! So that's three bulls packed out in a month. Well, um, let's hear about the last one
2: well we had to move to october mm-hmm. for this one we got out of september but uh yeah jason was kind enough to uh go uh muzzleloader hunting with me for the weekend we pretty much i wouldn't taking, any ran out of my time off for elk we had a deer hunt planned in november so any more elk hunting was gonna be uh just weekends yeah so we uh Took off on a Friday night and did a little bit of scouting in some of our, our old spots. And we were seeing people and not much for elk signs. So we went on a whim to a different spot that we figured was going to be packed with people. And it was just raining slash snowing and blowing. It was just brutal. And there was nobody parked at that trail. So we figured, well, I guess we'll just go here. <laughs> And we ended up sleeping in the pickup and hiked in that that morning in the dark to about, I think there was about two and a half inches of fresh snow. And uh, I'm not going to lie, we got kind of lucky, and we just walked right into one. And Jason called him in to about 70 yards with a muzzleloader. Was fortunate enough to uh, hit him on my first shot, and then once the smoke cleared, there was a bull wobbling and falling down in front of me.
1: Oh, my gosh, that's awesome.
2: yeah, bull number bull number four of the year was was
1: on the ground. Oh, that's awesome, man! So your freezer's full, for sure. My freezer's very full. That's cool, man. I I think I packed out four bulls this year as well, uh, four in September, and I kind of got you know I love packing elk out, but I I kind of got tired of it, man. It's just you get good at it. You're very efficient. You have a system. You've broke down four bulls, but man. It's uh, you start to wear out. I don't care who you the, are.
2: Yeah. By the time you get to number four, you're you're feeling it a little bit, and you just kind of want to get that pack off your back. Yeah, but, that's cool. So but you, once you do,
1: it, it feels pretty good. Sounds like you're diving holes. You're not afraid to go deep. What are you do? This is elk shape. We got to talk fitness, man. What do you do year round, off season, preparing? What are you doing physically?
2: Off season, I probably don't do enough as I should. I'm starting to learn that I'm not in my 20s anymore. I'll am i be 32 this year, and when I was in my 20s, early 20s, mid-20s, I could get away with not doing much, and just come September, I could just take off and go. But um, now, I can't really do that as much. So I'm definitely come a few months before elk season, I'm, I'm strapping the pack on, and I'm hitting, we live pretty close to a, the local school to where i go down to the stadium and i'll put 50 pounds on my pack and i just i draw jog up and down the, the stadium stairs and i'll run around the track but that's uh i do a lot of that come go time to get in much shape as i can along with doing scouting hikes and i mainly do a lot of hiking that's very spec-
1: that's very specific it does translate it makes sense so a guy like you, 32, you, you know, you got a career, you got a family, you got your priorities. Like, what are we talking? Once, twice a week? Like, when it comes, like, eight weeks out, four weeks out? Like, just give us a snapshot, a timeline for you. Uh, we try and get
2: down there four, five nights a week if we can. We'll load the kids up, and when the weather's nice, I mean, they get to run around the football field and have fun while we're down there. My wife. Her goal is to try and get in as good a shape as she can, too, that time of year. So it's we keep each other honest, and we go down there and both kind of do our separate workouts. But uh, we try and make it down four or five nights a week.
1: I love the families included on that. That's awesome. That's that's pretty cool to hear. So when you're planning your hunting season, are you putting in for draws outside of Washington? Slash are you planning on a couple bankable over-the-counter tags like— Uh, And I'm leading up to scouting questions, but how do you kind of prepare for tag allocation?
2: Um, In other states, I've mostly just been building points. So unless I'm doing an over-the-counter tag like I did this year in Idaho, um, it's basically just been Washington tags for me the past couple years. I did do a Montana hunt two years ago, but I actually took this county job that I'm doing now just – Three years ago and my job beforehand I could never get any time off in elk season so my uh, my out-of-state elk hunting has been kind of on hold here for the last five years <laughs> until about two years ago so it's been a lot of just
1: local Washington hunting for me well that's cool that you're starting to evolve there and get out a little bit how many points do you have in Washington for elk
2: I think I am back up to Let's see, I drew that tag in 2009, so I'll be at 10 points again this year.
1: Oh, you're in striking distance now. Yep. I can start to smell it a little bit. That's cool. I drew uh, a blues tag in 2011. So I'm still a ways out from, and I kind of want to go back somewhere over there. Um, Right. I just like that it's got some wilderness in there. And uh, you know, just the hunting pressure there is none, so you have the hunt to yep. yourself. And I do remember killing my bull back there is well, probably the worst pack out I've ever done, but that's a whole another story. But it's really nice to there is some quality hunts to look forward to. But man, I'm tired of waiting ten years plus between hunts. Right. So yeah, I mean, play the game. As far as putting in for states, I think New Mexico is a no brainer for anybody that is thinking about hunting out of state. They don't have a point system they have the elk hunting's just really good there i mean I, I don't know how else to describe it i've hunted in okay units and killed bulls every time good bulls too and um, i've never hunted any of the premier units in new mexico but i also have never drawn them and i haven't drawn a new mexico tag in over a decade uh maybe 12 years now so uh, but I would say everybody should put in for New Mexico. Um, it's got a pretty legit system. I can't remember if you pay up front or not. I think you do, but you get your money back fast, and it's a great state. Now, as far as other states to build points, Nevada is expensive to try to do that. I mean, they're going to charge you 2, $2. twenty five at least just to, to be able to put in, and then it's 15 bucks I think, per species. So, uh, you know, it's that's a tough state to, put, to start building points for. and I think Montana – Is another state that uh, is a good state to build points in. It doesn't take as many to draw. Now, these units aren't amazing that you're putting in for, but a non-resident should be able to draw, oh, once every four or five years in some units. But Colorado, nah. Uh, Wyoming, definitely. Um, Probably a must-put-in state, in my opinion, as far as the elk hunting quality. They just don't hand out that many tags, and their general units are awesome. Uh, Arizona, have you put in for Arizona at all? I never have put in for Arizona, no. Yeah, that's a tough one to draw, especially because everybody wants to hunt the rut, and so you're looking at double-digit points minimum to even get your name in the hat. And then obviously Utah with point creep, I don't know if it's worth it, to be honest with you, unless maybe Mm -hmm. you're buying a license and uh, attending the Western Expo, where they have some tags set aside, Um, but you got to be in person to put in for those. What other states are there that I miss?
2: oh i think you covered most of the bases there
1: yeah just for those that are wondering i mean there's better resources than me on that stuff but i do put in for i've been put in for a long time and um, i'm starting to draw some tags and it's nice but uh hunting our home state's tough man um i do think i'm gonna come probably go west side muzzy next year that's what i'm I'm leaning towards and then i don't even know if i'll do it. it it depends on my wife really if she's uh ready to, to divorce me when I'm gone all of September, and I'm like, hey, I want to go <laughs> go over Jeez. here and hunt. We'll see, but I'll probably that's probably what I'll do. I don't know if I'll go, but um, I've done that, that before. That, that
2: conversation sounds very familiar. It's like I've had that one before. Yeah, man. So with give, the these, life.
1: <laughs> give these guys some merit advice because I get so many mess. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I can't respond to all the messages, and I apologize if anyone's listening and sent me a message. I'd try to get back to you all, but – Keep in mind, I have like a real life outside of elk shaped, and it's very busy being self-employed, and uh, I have kids similar ages to you. So, but I get messages all the time about like, hey, like guys are really like looking for advice on marriage and finding a wife or keeping a wife or you know coming to an agreement on hunting because it seems to be a pretty big hot spot. So, you got any general unsolicited advice when it comes to hunting and spouses and marriage and partnerships
2: Uh, well i mean my wife knew when we got together how passionate i was about hunting so and i was pretty up front with her about it so i mean i guess she knew what she was getting into a little bit and she's super understanding and she's super supportive about it so maybe i just got lucky in that sense but uh find somebody yeah who is willing to tolerate you being gone a fair amount and still is going to be there when you get back <laughs> happy to see you
1: but uh you dropped yeah, the, i guess you dropped the p word man my wife doesn't even like that passionate word doesn't even register anymore i can't I, do you have any mm. other words that i could use besides uh, el canine is my passion because that mm. word's been like i can't even use that, that anymore that one doesn't work anymore mm. no uh see it ran yeah, i course. don't know <laughs> no but yeah See, what
2: what helps me too is the last i think four years i finally got her into hunting which she hasn't started elk hunting yet but i've got her into deer hunting and we're working towards elk but now that she's kind of got a taste for it i think she it helps her understand a
1: little bit too why because uh, she has a good time when we go out so that's a good point you know i did the same thing got my wife a bow several years ago and got her um into some deer hunting and she had some success. She's killed a doe and she's killed like a nice little 125, 130 whitetail. And she's had some success. She loves deer hunting. Hasn't gotten into it lately with the kids being at their ages. Uh, I think we're going to try to make a run next year. But she definitely appreciates like the – she kind of gets the why behind a little bit more as far as like, okay, number one. It doesn't suck to have wild game meat in your freezer, right? Right. They, they, right. All women should dig that. And I can. We were looking at. Our, I was talking about grocery bills with her the other day, and like she was talking about one of her friends spends a certain amount a month, and I was like, "Wow, what are they buying?" And she's like, "Well, keep in mind they probably have to buy meat." And I was like, "Ah, touche." So you know. I did remind her that our meat is probably a little bit more expensive than their meat. If you add in all the gas, time, and energy, yeah, but we don't we don't like to talk about that though. Yeah, we'll put that to the <laughs> side. But she was so they love the meat. She's killed bucks, so she's had the adrenaline. She's pulled the bow back. She's leveled, smoked a you know a couple of deer, got to like fill dress them and learn all that. And I like she likes being outside. We backpacked a lot before we had kids, and uh, so yeah, like taking that's a great. Great tip is maybe introduce them a little bit to the outdoors. Start a small game or whatever and, and make it fun and don't get too intense. That's what I'm usually guilty of. And uh, Oh, yeah. I've, I've
2: been accused of that too until I got her out there. And she's like, you weren't as bad as I thought
1: you were going to be. Oh, <laughs> like, see, I told you. <laughs> Nice word, man. So when is the great state of Washington going to offer over-the-counter spring bear hunting? Man, I don't know, but I, I hope it's sooner than later. Seriously. Because I could, yeah, I could definitely handle doing that every year. I know. So knowing that I live so close to Idaho, that has become my number two hunt. Um, elk hunting is number one, but spring bear hunting is number two because— I can't even imagine waiting all year just to slap broadheads back on your arrows, you know? So I yep. have in Idaho, I have a very generous season, April 15th through June 30th. And in one particular unit through July, believe it or not. So I mean, it is very cool. generous. And, um, I just know the de- the bear densities in Washington are insane. And, yep. uh, but like many States like Oregon, you know, a lot of the politics are controlled on the uh, on your side of the state, to be honest with you. so Oh, yeah, definitely. But I would yeah. love to see Washington open that up a little bit more. I mean, you can draw. There's a drawing, and I think it's it should be over the counter, really. But uh, you can't run dogs, you can't bait, but, hey, it could be over the counter for sure. And I don't think we would put a dent in the bear density. But some of these bear hunts open August 1st in Washington. Have you got into that at all?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, I used to bear hunt. Well, I used to have a lot more time to bear hunt over here on the West side and a lot of the units around home, uh, like you said, open August 1st. So we used to spend a lot of time and the, uh, in the clear cuts around home. I mean, we have warehouser right out the back door. So there was, which now we have a lot of permit access, which is a whole separate issue, but there was a lot of country to roam a few years back when it wasn't a permit where we could do a lot of bear hunting and cover a lot of ground. What do they uh, they want for their permits nowadays? Oh, I think the, there's two PL permits. There's a PL North and a PL South. And I think the South is, they want 350 for it and 300 for the North. So Mm
1: -hmm.
2: yeah, it's, yeah, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it.
1: That's pretty steep. Now, uh, lumber company like Weyerhaeuser, uh, don't correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I've understood is those bears destroy a lot of their new growth and reprod by yep. you peeling trees and yep. can, they can't really control that right without hunting. No, I don't think so. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if
2: they can run, uh, if they can get contracted hound houndsmen in there if they're having problems i don't know how that all works but uh other than that no they
1: need they need hunters in there to to take care of the problem i got an idea open up a spring season over the counter let them run run, right let those hunters cut their teeth it's sick it's really thick country but those berry bears in the cascades man those are some delicious bears if i didn't love antelope hunting or mule deer hunting so much i'd probably get more time over there in early august But uh Lampers does pretty good over there back when when he lived in Washington he might head back that way I'm sure he's got the yeah he he moved to a little bit better state (laughs) yeah definitely definitely so when you hunted Montana not to circle back too far but what was that experience like I'm always interested to hear people's because Montana is such a vast state there's so many different terrain features and topography and and elk densities are just a little bit different everywhere you go what was your experience like we ran into a lot of elk where we were at. It was, again, it was
2: pretty scattered, and we had our scattered timber, open sage. We had a little bit of mixture of everything, and we went right at the very end of archery season, and uh, the elk had definitely seen some pressure, and we're getting pretty pretty call shy, but uh, I ended up shooting a five-point there towards the end of the hunt, and uh, but we ended up not calling really calling to that bull very well we kind of just let him talk on his own and uh, slipped in on him pretty much in a, a blizzard and uh, got within the middle of the herd and I ran an arrow through him but uh, the elk were there was a lot of elk but they were they had definitely been pressured they were on edge for sure and it didn't help there We did run into wolves there we heard them outside of camp one night. And uh another guy at camp actually saw Grizzlies. So there was definitely uh predators
1: in the area that might have had
2: them on edge a little bit too.
1: Yeah, I like Montana late archery there. So generally speaking they open the first Saturday of September and they roll through somewhere mid October. Six week season, super legit. Uh they're very yeah. proud of their elk tag. It's usually it's like eight hundred and something bucks for the elk tag uh they do sell out you have to put in probably pretty much to get your general tag but they didn't used to sell out so that was my backup plan Tyson I would be like you know maybe hunt Idaho all of September and then I'd be like well call Montana be like okay you guys got any tags oh you do and then go scoop one up and head over and it was exactly what you described they had been hunted you could tell I mean they were they knew where private was, and if you're hunting an area where there was any private, you really—I mean—you better had on X. And uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it where I was in central Montana, and it was blizzards, man! It was ridiculously cold, cold for me especially. I'm a wimp in the cold, but really cold, <laughs> blizzardy, tough hunting in the snow. But had success every time, and I've been to Montana a handful of times, and was always able to get it done in that October stretch. It was. I definitely think I had the woods to myself. Did you see many people when you went?
2: No, not not really at all. I mean, we saw we saw old boot tracks, so where guys had been in there, but the pressure was way down when we got there. And I think we we hunted the first week of October, so I think we were definitely behind the crowds.
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of guys burn up their vacation, or they're still saving some of it for that that you know third week in October when they open up for rifle. So they they mm-hmm. kind of give bow hunting a a go but if they don't get it done it's not a big deal they got rifle coming up and then they can so it is a lot less people so it's something for people to bank on if and they do drew they draw montana's uh you check out early october it's definitely uh it's a different style of hunt it's not going to be a call rut frenzy but uh and those bulls are like you said they're they're pretty worn out by then but uh, yeah you can definitely do some damage i would find some more open country for sure uh, so you can do some glassing and whatnot, but when you're hunting, and I, this is kind of where I wanted to steer the podcast towards the back half because I, I try to keep these under an hour. But uh, let's talk about that elk hunting learning curve. Yours specifically, uh, I've talked about mine plenty. Took me a while to figure it out, uh, and then something kind of clicked. It's been relatively. Uh, it's never easy, but I just don't make a lot of the dumb mistakes I used to. What uh, What was your elk hunting learning curve like?
2: Well. When I was growing up, elk hunting around home, it was it was mostly just a lot of a lot of spot and stock. So it was because all we all around here, all we do is we have a but you got timber, which is very much anymore, reprod and clear cuts. So I mean, we basically hunted clear cuts around home. So it was a lot of spot and stock when I was growing up hunting with a muzzleloader, and then when I switched to archery just figuring out the calling tactics and how how to call out was probably my learning curve. And um anymore I just have taken about it's been twenty eleven, twenty twelve. Um I've just taken the real aggressive approach and just getting in tight with the bulls and challenging bulls and that's that's where I've I've taken my lumps and definitely won some battles and lost some battles, but I play the aggressive card without anymore, and that's that's kind of been my bread and butter, and learned the do's and don'ts throughout time. But that's that seems to be a pretty effective route for me.
1: I like it. Yeah, getting aggressive is 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 definitely a good name in the game, and depending on the area. Let's go over don'ts. Maybe just a couple of hot ones that just come to mind right off the gate. You know, what should they not do?
2: Don't if you have a bull that's just if he answers you, don't call your way into that bull. Go in on him silent and get in tight and before you make another sound. If you have a good idea where he's at, try and get as close as you can to that bull before you make another sound because if you just bugle your way into a bull, he's going to think you're another bull and he's I mean, if he's got cows, he's just and he knows you're coming. He's just going to go the other way. But if you get in his comfort zone and you challenge him, he's either – the odds of him coming in for a fight are a lot better if you're just going to walk in and let him know, hey, I'm coming at you. Dynamite. What else you got? What else do I got? Boy, you're putting me on the spot here.
1: Well, let's break down that tactic because (laughs) a lot of guys do – they flute their way in to a bull. They think, okay, I want to keep him talking. And I think it's tough to get comfortable with – you got to almost ghost a bull right out the gates. Like I, I hardly, you know, unless I know that the elk are there, I usually will open up with a cow call or two. And then like a lot of guys just go straight locator bugle. Like a single note, high pitch, just long hello, hello, nothing threatening. I'm more of a cow call guy in the beginning just to see what's up. And then I might introduce a bugle. But I, I like to hear a bull pipe back and forth at least once or twice before I go, okay, I'm going to go ghost and sneak in because you know know, it depends on the time of day obviously like are they in transition still are they in their feeding are they for sure in their bedding area are they still milling that kind of stuff and then obviously the terrain features like how are you going to approach it you know all that there's so many things to talk about there but the bottom line is once you think you know that you got a bull located, then you're going to make your play. You're going to figure out the wind and do your best guess what the wind's doing, where that bull's at, your best approach, how to travel there, and then get in tight. So how tight? What's too tight? What's not tight enough?
2: Ideally, if you can get within that 100-yard bubble before you make a sound, that is best. And I mean, trying to ID that 100-yard bubble when you're, Going through timber, it can be pretty tough. But so it's always kind of it's nice to try and have that location as best pinpointed as you can. But if you can get within that hundred yard bubble and get the wind right and and throw out a challenge to them, uh, I I like the odds if you can get to that get to that magic hundred yard mark. That makes
1: sense. Are you a guy that likes to hunt with a squad or a caller a crew? Are you solo? What's What's been your experience? I've done, well, with my
2: work schedule before, I've, I've done a lot of just solo calling for myself. But I mean, uh, definitely, it's nice to have a calling partner. But even when I have had callers with me, it seems like we're still only 30, 40 yards apart. But because uh, I like to uh, be able to see the ball so I can play off the ball. And his reaction, if I can see him coming and see how he's responding to calls, I kind of know what call to give him next. So the anytime you can utilize another person there with you calling is pretty awesome. But I don't necessarily like to, to do the guy back 100 yards or so. I almost would rather have the caller up where they, could, where they can still see.
1: Definitely. When I call for my dad, I generally... I tell him to be almost right next to me um, because I do mostly elk hunt solo. I'm used to calling solo. I don't I don't want people to think you have to have a caller. I really think you can totally call most bulls in solo. It, it can be done. Mm-hmm. It takes a little more finesse. But when I call for my dad, I like to be able to see him so I can adjust where I'm at. Um, you need your caller to be able to move, duck, dive, dip, dodge, if you will, just to, to get that last, you know, 10 or 20 yards so you can get the right shot angle. Shooting bulls, I've talked about it with a lot of guys before, something like you've smacked quite a few. Shot placement, sh- you know, angles, things like that. Have you have you had any unfortunate circumstances where you just didn't hit the bull either where you thought or you took a shot you that you thought was good, turned out it wasn't as good a shot? talk us through that learning experience
2: i've been i've been pretty fortunate over the years but i can think back to one bull that i i hit right square in the shoulder and i found my arrow right it was broke off right above the broadhead right where i shot him and there was a little window through a patch of viney maple that and there was one limb that i didn't see that i ended up deflecting deflecting off and i hit that shoulder blade and it's it's probably a shot that i mean i thought i had the opening i just i I got excited i guess and i didn't see the one limb in between us so i mean always always make sure your your shot windows are clear that's for sure but other than that i've been pretty pretty fortunate with a with a bow
1: that's awesome. Well, people listening that haven't killed their first bull yet, you're gonna be so jacked and you're gonna be so panicked. It's just you're it's a rushed feeling that I gotta get this shot off. I gotta and you almost always have more time than you think, but even if me I tell you that, doesn't matter. It's still you gotta just learn. It's just something that takes reps at as far as slowing down the process and getting that making sure you get that right angle because elk are tough. And if you watch the Born and Raised Outdoors and Destination Elk, which I don't think I watched all of them, but I saw enough to know at least saw at least five bulls get wounded. It happens to even the best elk hunters, you know, and your buddy Jason was one of them. And I'm I'm trying to remember, I think he just hit low on his. I'm not sure. Was that what he did? I think, I believe so. Yeah. And it's just a, you know, an elk's got to have an arrow go through vitals. Vitals being Mm -hmm. lungs, liver, heart, some sort of combination. A one-lung hit bull may die. I said may. That's right. They may not die. And that's the the reality. So choosing your angles. I still like people to hear me say that quarter and two shot and that frontal shot, I've done both. I've had both work well, but I've also – seen it even this year it not work well with my dad so you know when you're playing you're playing this game you want to get your shot but you want to make it count because that's it's a big animal and they really want to live so and i, I no one wants to wound to know jason doesn't want a wound to know but uh, when you shoot that lower brisket uh, man it makes them sick but they're not they're not even close to dead you know no. what i'm saying And when you, when you do the anatomy on an elk, um, I shot my Nevada bull about three inches too low, uh, was just perfect as far as, you know, left to right. Perfect. It just dropped in a little low and I ended up getting that bull, but man, it took, it took some arrows to get it done. And you know, so it was, uh, it was just the type of country where if he like went up over a hill, if I hustled up. I could see where he went and where – the area he bedded and then I ended up getting him. But had it, that arrow been three inches higher, it would have been – he would have been done. You know what I mean? So that brisket shot is a tough one, man. And uh, looking at your arrow and, and that kind of stuff, what, what, do you, what can you tell guys? We'll kind of finish on that. Examining the arrow and I always like to hear – experienced hunters like what's their protocols after the shot like kind of what's your go-to protocol
2: i always give them unless you actually see the elk fall down i always want to give them at least half hour to an hour before i even go look for my arrow i just take a step back replay everything through my head and just let myself calm down and then Give it that time frame and then start go looking for your arrow and blood and assess your arrow. If you can find your arrow, see what kind of blood you have on it or what kind of penetration you got. And then if it doesn't look, the blood doesn't look good or there's not much blood, then maybe back off for another hour. But minimum, uh, definitely at least a half hour. Unless you actually see the bowl fall over, then I think you, it's pretty safe you could go over, and go over to him.
1: What do you feel like's been some of the best broadheads that you've you know you've had on elk and and kind of what have what's won your heart when it comes to broadheads?
2: man these uh, these rival the rad uh, rival one twenty fives I've been shooting the last three years have been awesome. They're just they're a solid, uh, I think they're steel ferrules, and it's only an inch inch cutting diameter, but the penetration I've got with those arrows have been, awesome and the three bulls that i've shot with them have been i think at most they've gone 50 yards and one i i hit high and hit shoulder but that broadhead zipped right through that shoulder and i watched that bull fall over within 20 yards oh wow so i've really been impressed with the uh, rad rivals if you if anybody's in the market looking for a broadhead the the Red Rivals are something to check out for sure. They make them in. My wife shoots the Rival 100s, and I shoot the
1: 125s for elk, and they've they've been awesome. So that's a, obviously a fixed uh, broadhead. Is it, is it a two-blade? Uh, There are three blades. Three-blade, okay. Yeah. And uh, when you said you hit that bull high shoulder, you mean sho- like you hit through the shoulder blade? Yeah, right through the shoulder blade. Was it kind of more yeah. on the, like, if the bull's facing you— broadside I'm sorry if the bull's broadside and you hit him in the shoulder blade is it more shoulder blade towards the lung like you know how the shoulder blade will get actually a little bit smaller and, and yep. was it you you hit that part or did you hit the meat of the shoulder blade
2: I was backed probably towards that that thinner part okay it, it and yeah it blew blew right through that and I saw I let the arrow go I think he was standing at 30 yards and as soon as I as soon as I let it go i was like oh no I shouldered him and he kind of stood there and he trotted off to about 20 yards and then just rolled over.
1: Yeah, you got him. You got him for sure. I've actually hit that shoulder blade the the you know the thinner part so it's the shoulder but the shoulder blade's very thick and there's a lot of muscles that attach to the shoulder blade and so it's not the shoulder, it's the shoulder blade, it's the scapula and the scapula like if you're looking the broadside it's the more lateral towards the lungs. If you hit that thinner part It's still going to make a crack sound, but a a good fixed broadhead with some meat on it with some arrow weight should, if you're close enough, should punch through there and destroy the lungs like that happened. That's happened for me too. That's why I know that, and I had the same thing, almost the exact same thing. I think the bull might have ducked a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. making the shot high, and then it hit that, but the bull went about 20 yards and tipped over, and I was just like – didn't really know what happened until I got up close and started working on them. I was like, "Oh, okay," and uh, yeah, be careful of that. But hitting the meat of the the, the meat, the the shoulder muscle itself—that's kind of you know, there's some bone in there as well. That's pretty thick, so it's tough to even sink it in there. But there's a lot of lung on a bull, and there's a lot of area that's good to hit. So just try to steer clear of that quarter and two. Anything broadside or quartering away, green light. And on the frontal, have you seen the frontal done successfully in your experience?
2: I have taken the frontal a couple times. And actually, the bull I shot in Idaho this year was a frontal. And if if you hit that right spot, it is deadly. But it's it's definitely a shot that you don't want to take at a very far range. And you definitely want to know the anatomy of an elk before you before you take that shot
1: yeah it's a little higher than you think yep. and otherwise you're bouncing off that brisket <laughs> yeah and uh, so once you get that uh, yeah it's a little higher than you think you want to be in tight you did it at 12 yards uh, I shot a bull this year at six yards frontal uh, the results are awesome if you put it in the right spot it is but it can be it could be a sad sad day if you don't so um,
2: yeah it's, it's not a shot i recommend necessarily unless they're unless you're using that top
1: pin yeah for for sure man so well man it's been good getting to know you tyson what uh what's the deal with you and um you got a couple days on this on this calendar year you got anything kind of coming up goals wise are you one of those guys that kind of just keeps riding what you're doing or do you kind of reset for the year focus uh on a couple different things what's that look like for you
2: I am definitely uh, going to work on getting into, trying to stay in better shape throughout the year this year and not just pour it on come June, July. It's definitely, it's my wife, me and my wife both have talked about like this year we want to uh, start getting in shape early and then try and get into a more of a workout routine this year is kind of our goal.
1: Well, you definitely have a why. So that should be pretty motivating in itself. And if you don't have a why, it's really tough to stay motivated because motivation comes and goes. But if you have a why, that can yep. make you do things that are difficult or that are not attractive. And if you don't have a why, the couch is pretty seductive, or YouTube, or some other distraction that's not going to make you, you know, work harder. Because uh, you know, ten percent of the elk hunters are going to be successful in most states and it's usually right. the same 10%. And uh, I don't know if fitness is their number one ally. I can tell you all, it is my number one ally in the woods. Where I lack skill, I make up for it in fitness, and uh, I want people to enjoy their hunts. So what do you think workouts will be for you guys? I mean, doing it together as a couple is awesome because one spouse can sabotage the other if you're not on the same page. That's a good takeaway. But like, what kind of exercise are we are we talking? Uh, running? Are we talking weights? Home gym workouts? What kind of stuff would you like to? What do you think would work for you guys in your situation?
2: Uh, definitely cardio for sure is pretty easy for us, and uh, we also uh, go down to the the high school has a weight room that's open to the public. So when it's nasty out like it is, we go down. We'll go down there and do weights and uh, cardio in their weight room. So that's that's kind of the game plan until we can uh, get
1: a little bit better weather and get the kids outside around the track. <laughs> Definitely, right on, man. Well, hey, happy New Year, Tyson. Where can people find you on social? Uh, you can
2: find me on Facebook with my name uh, Tyson Drevnock, or uh, on Instagram i'm t drevnock. Or you can uh, you can follow us along on uh, Angry
1: Mount Productions
2: on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram.
1: So, what is Angry Mountain Productions? Is that something that you and Gabriel are doing,
2: or? Yeah, we got. Uh, it's me and John and Nick Schmidt, Jason Phelps, and Charlie and Kelly Smith have all uh, we're all in the group, and uh, we're releasing our series this year uh, called Tradition. We're kind of doing the the day by day series. Yes. Where uh, I think Jason Jason's mentioned it on here. But uh, that is due to release uh January fourteenth, I believe
1: it was okay. our launch date right on. So what are you guys angry about? How did you get the name? What's going on with that? It's, you know,
2: it's just uh we it's a it's just the name of a mountain that's in the uh just on the edge of the goat rock. actually it's in the goat rocks over here on the western Washington. and uh, it's just the the mountain that we we picked and ran with that's cool yeah there's no rhyme or reason to it we just uh picked out angry mountain and went with it
1: that's cool and so all those guys i i think i've met most of those guys all solid dudes representing washington that's pretty cool obviously everybody ran a camera this year so it's going to be a little bit of everybody's hunt is that what i'm hearing
2: yep yeah we all scattered all over the place i think me and uh me and jason did a couple hunts together one and uh the idaho and then we did a deer hunt together in colorado and then charlie and gabriel they did a couple elk hunts together and nick was with jason and he did another hunt in oregon with some buddies so yeah we had we had cameras scattered all over the west this year
1: oh man i'm looking forward to seeing that that's cool who got stuck editing
2: uh nick's doing a lot of the editing
1: right now so he uh yeah he's busy (laughs) yeah good job nick all right tice well Man, have a good night. I know it was a sacrifice come on tonight, so I appreciate your time, man, and Happy New Year, and I hope to meet you soon. Hey, anytime, man. Awesome. Good talking to you. Take care. Good talking to you. You too. All right. Bye.